everybody, welcome to ADD Masterminds. That was, that was me doing an accent. <laughs> I'm here with Jimmy Humphrey and Emmanuel Marsh. Say hello, fellas. Hello. Hello, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> He's a literalist. Hey, I was like, I, I was wondering, is it, is it possible to just like make up your own accent? Like you just take like all the accents that you super love, but like you take words from each different language. Like I've been listening to like these podcasts where there'd be somebody who says poverty, but they say poverty. And I'm like, I just love how that sounds. Yeah, it's called English. <laughs> There's also like, also like English people when they say Twitter, it's like Twitter. I dated a girl who was very Southern, but she also was fluent in British, as she would say. And she would regularly, just for laughs and giggles, just start talking long periods, long stretches of time as if she were British. And she was actually quite good at it. Like, she could hold it for, like, hours. It was crazy. Ooh. <laughs> Me and my wife visited London for, I think we were there two weeks, and I would find myself going into this British accent by accident. I wasn't trying to. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is probably weird, <laughs> but um, I do that or weird like that. I do that around my aunt a bit. Like she's very Tennessee, Southern, Eastern Tennessee sort of accent. And anytime I get around her, I start slipping into like, well, Kim, like sort of like, and I, I don't normally talk like that. Like I might have a twinge of something Southern in my voice, but uh, not for the most part. And you know, so I get around her and it's just like I start just conforming to her image. My wife is from New York and when she gets around her family from New York, her New York accent comes out real thick. And <laughs> I do not like New Yorkers. I never have. It's one of the groups I'm prejudiced against. And <laughs> when that New York accent comes out, I just I want to divorce immediately. Like, well, it just sounds like anger, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know. It's. <laughs> It's, I don't know. It's weird, and I just don't like the pronunciations. That was, but I'm okay with the tone. It's loud and whatever, but the pronunciations, like the way she says "gum," I just, oh. <laughs> Give it a go. What is it? What does it sound like? I don't. I don't know, cause I'm southern. I can't even say words <laughs> that short. Like, <laughs> if I say it, it's still gonna be three syllables. And she says it's like, uh, "gum." I don't know. It's... <laughs> That's awesome. But I hate it so much. I, I've been hearing a lot about life coaches. And I'm like, what exactly does a life coach do? Like, hey, yeah, you, you go buy those groceries. Um, you know? Pay with your visa. A, I've seen a lot of, like, friends of mine who have been, like, at like former pastors or pastors in between pastorate gigs who all of a sudden become life coaches. It's, it seems like a pretty prevalent thing. I don't, I don't know why it's such a thing though. I've never thought, man, I need to pay somebody to tell me how to live my life better. Like I would just buy a book if I needed that. I like, I think it's, sorry, go ahead. There's different certifications for it and stuff, but it's basically, it's kind of like counseling uh -huh. <laughs> without the training. <laughs> 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 Emmanuel's a counselor, by the way. Oh, very cool. But, but it's kind of like, well, I guess what Christians, a Christian equivalent would be mentoring. Mm -hmm. So especially somebody you're bouncing ideas off of and they'll give you strategies to, like, I'm a procrastinator. So a life coach would like, I don't know, make me set goals and 
not procrastinate. So basically somebody to motivate you, maybe, mm. or try to. I don't and it's just interesting to me because, like, in sports, there's always, like, that coach that's super yelly all the time, and it's just brutal on the players, but he gets good results. I'm, like, just imagining there's a life coach that makes you cry all the time. It's like, you bought the groceries wrong! <laughs> yeah, that, that, that real tough kind of... <laughs> yeah. I really don't under, like... And I guess that you don't really need qualifications. I mean, they have certifications, but they're kind of easy to get. But I mean, like I'm a counselor, but that doesn't mean my life is together. So I guess you could anybody could be a life coach. Didn't really matter how you're doing. So you mean it's they're like, not uh, they're not necessarily great at buying groceries? Well, like I'm a procrastinator. I don't. I mean, I think I can offer advice to somebody who has problems with that, but I don't take it myself. You know, I don't know <laughs> yeah, that there's yeah. a you know, there, there's a very low ceiling on what, what you have to be to do that. Actually, yeah. that's true, too, because, like, I'm an industrial hygienist, and so I deal with um, health hazards in the workplace, you know, wearing hearing protection and stuff like that. Do I take that home with me? I can't say I always do. <laughs> do Your I home always is a waste. follow the white it's right practices? It's home is a, waste, a toxic wasteland. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. There is mold in your shower, <laughs> yeah. and you're okay yeah. with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, wait till that bowl turns black, so it really gets interesting. Don't they, don't they say like mechanics cars are the worst because they know exactly like how much to maintain it, so it's as, barely as a, old as a, together. As a son of a mechanic, I can say my dad, he does not keep cars up at all. He just <laughs> waits for something to break. Yeah. He, he didn't believe in routine maintenance. Yeah, yeah. We had a car that went three years without an oil change. He was like, "Yeah, you don't really need to change the oil." I just do that to make money. So, so maybe maybe nobody ma practices what they preach. I don't know if I'll say nobody. Nobody I know, though. <laughs> Absol <laughs> absolutes, eh? Absolutes are always bad. Sometimes they apply. Um, I've been reading this book by Scott Adams. I'm kind of obsessed with it. So it's like all over the ADD master list. Scott Adams, Scott Adams, Scott Adams. Um, it's called Loser Think. And um, he talked about like negative thoughts and how negative thoughts by nature really stick with us. And so instead of allowing the negative thoughts to take over, he was saying, look for positive sticky thoughts. So I was thinking, so what's a positive sticky thought that you could hold on to? Does the positive sticky thought get cast in a negative light? Is is that like well, if your mom's saying you'll never amount to anything, you know, or they're all gonna laugh at you, you know? That's not a positive it, thought, is it? Right, but is he saying like to turn <laughs> the negative thought into a positive thought? Is that what he's saying? I guess yeah. Reframing it as a positive thought would make sense, yeah. So, you're, so if your mom they're says all going to laugh at me, then at least I'm, I must be somebody important because I'm the center of attention then, right? <laughs> there you go. So might as well be funny, right? Right. Were you, were you a class clown as a kid? Actually, in sixth grade, I did get voted class clown. Ooh. Manuel, were you ever accused of that? <sighs> I went through a phase in eighth grade. <laughs> uh, but generally, I was a nerdy kid. But I did go through a little phase of class clown. But um, I went through a phase of being a teacher. 
And um, <laughs> I did too. <laughs> it's an early early career choice, and I, I decided there was if there was going to be any class clown, it was going to be me. And so the the kids liked me. I didn't really like teaching though. I like I love teaching. As my I had a professor used to say, I teach for free, but you got to pay me to grade. <laughs> Ooh. Or you, you got to pay me to deal with parents. That's what you're paying me for. Oh, man. Don't get me started. Anyways. Parents suck. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, 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 think that, <laughs> I think all of us have children. But. <laughs> A former youth pastor that I used to go to the church with would tell me, man, I hate parents. <laughs> it's actually... Hey, we, I, I, I went to a church once, and we hired a youth pastor who didn't even like kids. Oh. Now... In my defense, I was against hiring the guy. I was like, dude, not hire this guy. They hired him anyway. Uh -huh. But it's like a month on the job. And he was like, man, I don't see how y'all do this, hanging out with all these kids all the time. It's like, it's in the title of the job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny. And this kind of brings me to our next topic. Like, it's easy to see those shortcomings in other people, but we struggle to see our own shortcomings. So when we say parents suck, Obviously, Emmanuel and I don't mean us. We don't suck as parents. No, I, I mean me. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is difficult as a teacher to deal with parents. And um, I was just thinking it's like, actually, this was, Jimmy, you added this to the list, didn't you? Why are we so blind to our own shortcomings, but we're good at seeing them in others? That's a good question. I don't know. I think, I think there's like this tendency we have towards like, Self-righteous behavior that makes us that way. Self-righteous right. behavior. Right. I, you, what really blows my mind is when Christians are that way. So why are we that way as Christians? Like if we understand that it's by grace we're saved, not through our good works. Nope. It's who you vote for. That's what does it. <laughs> <laughs> no politics. No politics. <laughs> Where's Christian? Or, or Theosaurus Rex? <laughs> is I'm he always saying. he's always the politics uh police because uh right because yeah because he's very political normally <laughs> it's funny there's some people i've had on the podcast that i've been really nervous about because i'm like oh no they're gonna talk politics the reason why we don't talk politics is um i don't know if I, i've probably said this a few times but um the first episode ever that i recorded with jeff Hendricks, he's like John, do you like pol talking politics? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I don't. Let's not. <laughs> and so ever since then, it's been a rule. But I think what's really interesting is that as politics has become more and more divisive, I felt like ADD Masterminds is a safe place. ADD Masterminds is your safe place from political discourse. It's also your distraction from the family. Get it? It's like it's like the opposite of focus on the family. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good episode, by the way. I, I did <laughs> I did like that episode. The one where I said distracted from the family? No, Jimmy's episode about maybe we shouldn't focus on the family. Yeah. Uh, oh, on his podcast. I didn't hear that one. Yeah, that's like what, it's like four months ago, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's talking about I guess family idolatry. Yeah, pretty oh, much. Like, okay, yeah, I did hear that one. Yeah. I like that. Um, yeah. So why are we so blind to our own shortcomings? Um, I think we like our fig leaves a lot. <laughs> in truth. I don't... There's something comforting about them. 
I don't know that people are blind to them. I, like, I'm pretty, pretty clear on mine. Hmm. Uh, I'm rude. I'm a procrastinator. But don't you I, think that's rare that people are that way? That they're self-aware? Um, I think everybody has blind spots. Yeah. Um, in, in counseling, there's something called Jahari's window. Um, Ooh. And it's like it's like a that window. Sounds very charismatic. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's uh. It sounds like a window super with mystic, four, yeah. With with four panes, and then uh-huh. you got one pane that's like, um, things we know about ourselves and everybody else knows. Then there's things we know about ourselves, and nobody knows. Then there's things that we don't know about ourselves, and other people know. And then there's things that we don't know about ourselves and other people don't know about them either. And so I think everybody has things they know, but everybody has a blind spot where they really uh, can't see it. Um, huh. So people are self-aware. They're just not fully aware. How about that? Well, obviously the key, though, is to get in relationship with people who can see those things that you can't see in yourself, right? That's why we get married. <laughs> exactly. Although that only works one way, though, right? Right. <laughs> Jimmy's at home telling his wife all the things she does wrong. Right? How's that working for you? Oh, it doesn't work. My my father-in-law just looked at me early on. He's like, apologize early and often, and that's all he laughed at. That, so Speaking... say you're sorry, even when you're not. Right. It's Speak... your fault, even when it isn't. Speaking of which, the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked. How do we cope with that notion? Oh, I love that verse. Mm. Mm. It's my life verse. It's not really, but but I do, <laughs> but I do, but I do reference that verse often because one, I think it, I think it clears up when people have really neat and tidy theology of well, if you do this, you know, and you do good, this will good will happen to you. Oh, if you do bad, bad things will happen to you. And it's like no. Uh, Karma. Right. Yeah, it's like essentially no, good, good stuff happens to everybody and bad stuff happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think of it as like a butterfly effect from the fall. And so I don't know if you're familiar with the butterfly effect, but it's like this notion that a butterfly in New York can flap its wings and bump a molecule that bumps a molecule that basically causes like a snowstorm in like India or whatever. I think I totally messed that up. But you know what I mean? Like, it's just like this idea that there's a chain reaction for everything we do. So if you consider, like, all the sin in this world, it's no wonder that we live in an unjust kind of society where, you know, crazy stuff happens. Like, I had a coworker who, she was in remission from cancer, and instead of them giving her, like, uh, I think it was, like, a you know, five-hour dosage, or sorry, five-day dosage. Um, They gave her a five-hour dosage. Sorry. They gave her a five-day dosage over five hours, which basically Mm. killed her. The chemo killed her because it was so concentrated, right? And I was trying to wrestle with that notion, and I wanted to speak on it at my church because we had a tiny little church, and I wanted to preach about it. And this whole butterfly effect thing, I was reading about it. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. So it kind of explains why, like, karma is not really true. That, like, 
every measure of good will be returned to you and every measure of bad will be returned to you. It's like, no, no, no. This world is wildly out of control. And the good news is, is that Jesus subjected himself to the same injustice we deal with every day. And he defeated death. Right? Preach, preacher, preach. <laughs> so, did your friend, your friend, did that happen in Canada where the home of uh, universal health care? Wait a second, we don't talk about politics. Never mind. <laughs> That's social policy. It's different. Right. The home Death of panels. universal whatever. You know, that's good. Like, that's, you know, maybe you can tie that also to, like, the entire issue with, you know, getting self-righteous and stuff. Because we we always feel like we get what's coming to us that's good, or at least I think mm. most people do. You know, we always feel like, like, yeah, of course I deserve the raise. Of course I deserve the promotion. <laughs> you know, but then the person sitting in the cubicle next to you is like, Man, how'd this idiot get here? You know? Yeah. Well, and to yep. me, like all success that anybody has is a combination of talent, hard work, and luck. Absolutely. And so yeah. if, if it's those three things, it's like the only thing you really have control over is the hard work. You're born with the talent. The luck, I mean, maybe you can increase your chances by trying a whole bunch of different things. But it's just like, how can you be prideful when you realize a lot of what you do, like probably two-thirds of your success is actually something you have no control over? Assuming it's like a 33.3333% of each of those, or a third. There we go. That's better math. One of the lessons I try to teach my students when I was teaching high school, um, which the parents did not like, like... There were two words that you were not allowed to say. And I, I taught at a Christian school, but I didn't, I wasn't the grammar police. You could say what you wanted to say, profanity. I didn't, I was like, I'm not policing your speech. But you couldn't say fair or deserve. So students can say that wasn't fair, I deserve. Those, mm. those would get you, you know, in trouble quickly. Um, because I'm like, look, that, one, going back to Scott Adams, that is loser think. Mm-hmm. As soon as you set yourself up as deserving something, it it really makes you kind of quit a little bit. Yeah. Because you you know. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Entitlement my, in all forms is such a negative thing. I'm I'm surprised to hear you say that being from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I think that's it, though. That's where things break down, because whether it's like, well, I worked hard for this, therefore I'm entitled. Well, you're like, you're not really understanding that even just having the ability to work, right? Like, there's, there are a lot of things that went into bringing you where you are, right? And so for you to feel entitlement for anything, like even, you know, love. I mean, it's like I'm entitled to the love of my wife. And it's like, really? How many times have you let her down, right? Like, there's, mm. there's just so much into it. It's like, it's almost like everything we have is the result of grace. And so yeah. we need to have gratitude. We deserve hell. Everything else is icing. Yeah. Hey, um, so this one, I think it was Theosaurus Rex that said this. Scamming the scammers, is it moral? Hmm. I don't think it's immoral. I don't know that it's wise. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I okay. This, this is something. Um, do you ever get like those weird messages from people that you don't know, like on Twitter or on Facebook Messenger? It's been or a while. It's, it's been a while. I have, but yeah, I've gotten them before. Do you have um, Aaron Disney on Facebook? Yeah. Okay, so he every once in a while he'll post like this conversation in Messenger he's having with someone, and uh, so they'll be like, "Hey." How you doing? And it's like some person you don't know. And Aaron will be like, oh, hi. I got those apples you ordered. And, like, he'll just go <laughs> off like something ridiculous, right? So I, like, I had somebody contact me on Twitter, and they started talking to me. So I'm like, I'm doing okay. I really miss intergalactic travel, though. And I'm low on money right now. Do you have some money you could lend me? And, like, I just, you know, just going off and all this stuff. And it's so interesting to see how they respond because it's, it's like they're robots or they don't really understand English because they don't really react to the ridiculous things you say. But it's very entertaining to do that and then send it to someone and show them this conversation you had with your new friend. Love yeah, I think so a much. lot of those people are foreign. Yeah, I think so too. So with a prince in Nigeria then that wants me to wants to wants me to cash a check for him should i ask him if uh he'll cash a check for me instead <laughs> i actually heard a story see like to me it's like when someone's trying to sell something to me i try to sell something to them and i i know somebody who actually <laughs> got a call from some scammer in india and they led him to christ wow yeah so i'm like that kind of patience but it's like so wait a second you're calling and leading somebody to christ to scam no yeah no i'm i'm, <laughs> I'm selling them jesus oh okay yeah. okay no i actually heard a good ted talk on this once i don't listen to ted talks much but there's this mm. guy who talk about how he start and like it's his thing he always replies to the scammers on email and he'll have them going months at a time and he built a ted talk around it. he actually struck up a friendship with one of these guys and they actually mm. started exchanging photos. Huh. Um, and like the guy actually this was <laughs> in the bad part of Africa and there really were bad photos. I'm like, mm. yeah. And like, yeah. they ended up like forming some sort of partnership together actually. And it was very interesting. I, I wish I knew the name of the Ted talk that it was, but uh, I think it's a pretty famous one. I, I won't tell you where up. my mind went. I just thought that was funny. What are you wearing? <laughs> Jake from State Farm. <laughs> yeah. uh, khakis? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see a lot of Christians do it. I I don't do it because I don't think it's safe. Right. Because if you get the wrong scammer who's just like, okay, you're messing with me. Because if you're <laughs> on the internet, I can get your IP address pretty easy. Yeah, if I can get your IP true. address, I can get where you live unless you're using a VPN. Mm. And there might be somebody who's just unhinged enough. I know because I've been that person. <laughs> unhinged enough when I was younger uh, to come see you in person. Oh, yeah. You know, because like I get it if you're doing it for like a, you know five ten minutes, but when you when this goes on for months and you're going back and forth with this person, that person probably isn't all there. Mm. You know. Yeah. I actually had something like that happen years ago back in the internet when it was still wild, wild, wild west, like when everybody was still mostly on AOL and CompuServe type, you know, internet. And I was actually- You're uh, old, Jimmy. Uh, I know, right? Uh, and I was, uh, 
talking to some guy online about some sort of theological stuff. And he got so mad, he actually called me up at my house. Somehow, I don't know to this day how he found me. He found our phone number, and he called me. And he was like, you know, claiming that he was some sort of rabbi or something. And he was really angry at me. And just like, I was like, whoa, buddy, like, I'm going to have to step away from this for a little bit. It was was pretty freaky. Yeah, it's it's not hard to get anybody's IP address and then... IP address are, are attached to cable bills or whoever your internet provider is, and that has your address. And that, I mean, it's, you know. Well, I'm getting so, a little. So it's not wise. So. It's getting dark. I'm getting a little. <laughs> I'm getting a little freaked out here. Um, this is a so. scary episode. This should have been your Halloween episode, John. <laughs> <laughs> Scammer is coming from inside the house. Ghost. We did a, We did an episode where I was talking about how like the ancient ghost is kind of spooky. Ghost. Mm-hmm. Um. Hey. So artificial intelligence. This kind of is along the same lines. I'm not gonna say segue because that ruins the segue when I say segue. So I'm not gonna say segue. Um, artificial intelligence automation. Is it really gonna destroy the workforce or? Are the predic- predictions of doom and gloom just hype from people looking to take advantage of us? It's going to destroy the work for- workforce. Yeah? See, I'm a bit more optimistic than that. At least for, at least for a little while, because yeah. it's going to start with low-skilled people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the tellers so and stuff, yeah. Self-checkout, bank tellers. Yeah. Um, then it's going to move to self-driving cars. So there go your truck drivers, which in America, truck driving is one of the highest. I mean, they, they, most people here are truck drivers a lot. It's one of the biggest employment groups are truck drivers. Um, and what are those people going to do? You don't have, <laughs> your skill They're is gonna driving take coding. a truck. Everybody's <laughs> going to code. Everybody right. will code. Hey, get we'll you never off saturate of that market. <laughs> that will get you kicked off of Twitter if you tell somebody to learn to code, by the way. Oh, but we don't but, uh, get pol- political, right? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I see, it's funny because, and maybe, maybe it's a little naive on my side, but I'm just kind of like thinking, well, they've always said that. They said that in the 50s that we would all be like sitting and not doing anything because we won't have jobs because robots will do everything, right? Right. And well, I'm we thinking, didn't get those, those, those robots never happened, but they're happening now. Mm. You know, but I, I think like I think about like, you know, someone like a farrier and how farriers probably had, you know, a whole lot of employment in the 1800s. And there's not as many farriers anymore, is there? But yet there's people no, that are employed. They became, they became welders or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. But or machinist. Yeah. But eventually, but I'm not saying people can't learn other skills. Right. But what do you, but the 50 year old truck driver is not going to learn the code and he's not <laughs> probably not going to be a, a, a machinist or fixing the machines because first, first who's going to hire him anyway? He's 50 yeah. years old. How hard it is yeah. to find work when you're. It's supposed you to know. be super hard, yeah. I remember I had a client once who was, he was, in a, he was an engineer, an electrical engineer. But anyway, he was like in his 60s, 
and he wanted to work, but he, nobody would hire him because he was in his sixties, and they could always pay somebody who was younger, and mm. you know. But it's it's gonna be bad mm. for a while. Then when that generation, I guess, dies off, <laughs> and then the generation. And then the new, we'll just wait for them to die, and everything will be fine. <laughs> It'll the be new fine. Generation of of uh, tech support <laughs> and uh, robot mechanics will rise up. That's you know, but eventually everybody's gonna work for Amazon anyway. So man, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, they can just keep my paycheck. <laughs> yeah, they already have my paycheck anyway. I think so, the, the Amazon truck's been here about every day this month. <laughs> So every, Man, I, I, I thought I had a problem for one while because literally it felt like every day there was an Amazon out. Look, once you start hiding boxes from your wife, <laughs> you know something's going wrong. <laughs> so today's episode is brought to you by Amazon and Acme Lasers. Have you guys tried the new Acme Acne Back Me laser? Oh, it's so great. I love it. I have a lot of testosterone, like a ton. I know you guys can tell just by my voice, I have a lot of testosterone, plus my kind of balding head. But uh, right. yeah, and so I tried it out. You just got to be really careful with the heat settings. Um, I have a have a few burns. I actually my, my skin's very really my skin's very sensitive. I have to be careful. My wife has to my wife has to use the laser on me. I, I can't do it by myself because I might burn myself. We'll send you one, man, Emmanuel. I mean, not that you need it. No, I don't need it, but I'll, I'll take it. I like anything that burns stuff, so <laughs> I'm down with any kind of laser. So uh, back to Scott Adams, my favorite book right now. Um, he was telling, he was talking about how his car is really dirty. I don't know if you ever heard him in interviews. He talks about his dirty car and how it yeah. never, never gets cleaned. And he yeah. said, you know, there, people are going to have a whole bunch of different theories about why his car is dirty. Yeah. And he said, you know, like, oh, well, maybe he doesn't have time or maybe he doesn't care. And he said, actually, it's a totally different explanation that you wouldn't think of. And he said, I have this phobia of public instruction. It's like following instructions in public. Actually, I kind of feel like I have that phobia sometimes, too. It's like, hey, do this dance. And they show you how to do this dance, and I'm like, yeah, I, I can't follow you. I just, you know, I don't know, my ADD. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, what, my right hand? Yeah, I don't know. But, but he said that, and it was kind of interesting because he said that, like, um, he talks about think like, and he has a list of things, you know, like list of different occupations that you should think like. And so for this section, it was about think like an artist. And he said, the reason why you're not thinking about another explanation other than I'm lazy or I'm too busy is because you lack the imagination. Mm. And so it's like imagination is needed to think rationally because you got to think there's probably more than two explanations to this. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, and I don't have that phobia, but I'm sure everybody can relate to this. You guys have kids and wives, but I'm weird about this. I don't play when it comes to my food. Mm. And so when I drive, go through a drive-through, I want my order to be concise mm. and precise. 
Uh-huh. And so I know what I want because I go there all the time. I get the same thing every time. Yeah. I just know what I order. But my wife is like, uh, nah. uh, I want this and hold the tomato. <laughs> and it's like everybody has these weird orders. Nobody knows what yeah. they want. And then I just, my brain locks up. And so I'm just like, I will not go through the drive-thru with my family. Hmm. I, I just won't. I just like, look, we're just we're just gonna eat at home because it's too much of a hassle, <laughs> and my brain locks up trying to to, <laughs> to like take in the input hmm. of you know all this stuff, and I feel like I'm on the clock. It's like, look, people are behind me, and it's just like, yeah. Well, see, that's why you just have to go to Chick Fil A and no, nowhere else because that's they're gonna get it right every single time, and there's not They'll a lot get of variance. Right, but I, I won't get it right. That's the problem. <laughs> Closed on Sunday. <laughs> what do you do? Right now. <laughs> you, John, you don't even know what it's like to have to suffer without Chick Fil A on Sunday because they don't do them up there where you are. And actually, like, we, it's have, a real problem. We, we have one in our in our airport. So oh, and I I've been there once. It was it was pretty okay. <laughs> pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> was it like whenever Theosaurus Rex says is he he says chicken fillet. He's fancy. He's a fancy dinosaur. Well, down, he, down here in North Carolina, we call it Chicky Falicky. Theosaurus Rex, the fancy dinosaur. I could picture him like in a top hat. Totally. That's the title for this episode. Theosaurus Rex, the fancy dinosaur. Now he's going to have to listen to this one. He's right. working late, so he couldn't make it. He's going he's gonna to see the episode, and he's going to become paranoid about it. And he's like, wait a second, wait a second. I wasn't on that show, was I? <laughs> <laughs> So um, I was thinking about like um, what it's what it's like to be a part of a band, and um, man, I wrote this a long time ago, but I think this is what I meant. Um, <laughs> but okay, <laughs> being a part a of a musical band, a musical band. What what kind of band were you thinking? I don't know, band of brothers. <laughs> band yeah. of brothers. Well, it probably works with that know, too. I only know what it's like to be on a hockey team. I don't do music. But it's like yeah, I think I think it's almost like like Paul's analogy of the body, um, you know, it's like I'm a hand or whatever. I think a band analogy works similarly, where it's like we each have roles, whether you're rhythm or you're bass or you're the guitar player or you're the keyboard or you're the singer, and it's like together we create something. And I feel like um, in many situations that we're in, you know, whether it's just as believers or even like. This podcast, it's like we all kind of serve a certain role, which is cool. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with this. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it great? We only spend a couple minutes on each topic. Hey, do you notice that there's a lot of people who, like, will make a tweet, and then, like, it'll take off? And then um, once it takes off, they're like, oh, by the way, check out my SoundCloud. I'm not on Twitter, oh. so I never notice. I'm not on yeah. Twitter because I don't, I don't want to go viral for the wrong reason. <laughs> I'm serious. That's I just pretty know that I'm going to say something in 240 characters or whatever they're up to now, and it's just going to get it's going to go really bad, really fast, and somebody, it's going to make a mess of my life. But that is good marketing, though. It can be. It can be. And it's just funny. I'm like, maybe I should have a SoundCloud just in case, like, my tweets go viral. <laughs> That's smart. They have to go really viral to get any significant traffic. Like, 
I had some tweet go viral, I guess you could say, and it had like, I don't know, 8,000 or something. Oh, that's pretty good. It was like crazy. And I was like, oh, whoa, wow, wow, wow. Like, I don't even have anything to sell. Right. Like, I know. <laughs> I was like, I need to find something like I can make money with all of a sudden. And I was just like, but this then I decided, but I decided just to all of a sudden, like, oh, yeah, follow up, like, check out my website. And like three people out of 8,000 clicked on it. <laughs> You're such yeah. a metrics guy, hey? Like, you know how many people click on your website. I- I, the curiosity just gets me. I mean, it's like it'd be nice if I had like good metrics, uh, but I I don't know. There's just some I don't know if it's maybe me in my uh, big bad banker thing that's always just curious about you know numbers and Ooh. where they come from. Humble brag. Uh, pod, <laughs> Humble brag. I've made. Yeah. Uh huh. He checks all that stuff out. It's like, hey, we got this many listeners in California. Whatever reason, <laughs> Californians listen to our podcast more than more than anybody but and he he cares about all the metrics and stuff and i was like i don't really care if anybody listens i'm just doing it just to do it and if it you know <laughs> i know well that's that's kind of it right like i just love creating stuff so i'm just making stuff like i'm i'm actually in talks about doing a third podcast which i'm like really <laughs> <laughs> but this sounds like something that might take off in a bigger way than anything i've done before so i'm like i'm kind of intrigued it's um we were going to call it the Enneagram 4 Survival Guide. And so I'm like, man, Enneagram 4s like, feel so misunderstood. This might be a safe place for them. I also like think it'll be good therapy for me because <laughs> Kevin and I are both 4s and we're like, say something. He's like, ah, me too. We'll just be broing <laughs> out the whole time. I don't know. I don't know how tolerable it's, it'll be. but I, I don't know if I can follow that podcast because that means I'll have to take the Enneagram test to actually find out. And understand it. <laughs> well, well no. you're not a four. I tell you that. <laughs> uh, Somebody said I'm a seven. I have no idea if that's true or not. Seven, uh, I don't seven know. is I'm, the I'm enthusiast. A, I'm a I'm a seven, I think. So I don't. Uh, maybe that's what, maybe that's why I disagree with you so much on <laughs> your podcast. Are you? Okay, uh, wait. I was thinking you might be a five. The intense cerebral part, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Mm. Uh, who me? Uh, Part of that, Jimmy. I was thinking, Jim. but secretive. Uh, yeah, tell maybe one, maybe Jimmy. once I was. Maybe once I was kind of secretive. <laughs> I, lately, I've been pretty good at putting it all out. <laughs> what yeah. about what about the challenger? Go back to being secretive, Jimmy. I'm proud of your opinions. <laughs> the challenger, the powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, decisive, willful, and confrontational. That ain't me. What what is that? That's the eight, the challenger. Yeah, that's not me. Yeah. Anyways, what I did is I read the book. I think it was The Road Back to You. Somebody told me that if you read this and then you you read the section on each type that talks about some of the negatives, that'll hit home. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm the individualist. And so, and it's like just being easy, you know, Becoming self-absorbed is something that I just have to watch, right? So, anyways. Um, I, I don't know where I heard this, but someone was talking about the way we look at the future, and they said you could be future-phobic, future-passive, or future-guided. It's almost like in, in the company I work for, they were like talking about how you can, you can react or you can thrive or you can drive change. And it's like anticipating 
the changes that are coming up and preparing for it. And so I guess maybe, you know, as we look to 2020, um, how do you guys look at 2020 right now? Like, are there things you're anticipating? Are you hoping to just react, or are you actually being proactive and thinking, this is what I'm going to do in 2020? I don't think I've anticipated anything right. since I've had since I've been a parent. I just <laughs> I just try to make it one day at a time. I'm, I'm future mm. passive. I just mm. just make sure just all fingers hang, are just, and toes are accounted for at the end of the I'm, day. I'm just trying to hang on, man. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I I think about the future and I think about uh -huh. goals and stuff and you know yeah. things like. I put things on the list, but I don't like really think about them usually in context of like years. Like, oh, I'm gonna like this, 2020 is gonna be my year of jubilee, and you know I'm gonna have my breakthrough. I'm and... finally gonna see clearly. Right. <laughs> I, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for all the charismatic, uh, you know, nar types to come out and just be like, 2020 is gonna be your year of clarity. Yeah, uh, yeah. Says the Lord. <laughs> yeah, it's like clearly that must be the Holy Spirit because that was brilliant. Like I don't know right. where you got. Oh wait, wait the year twenty twenty. Oh, I I oh. see. Oh wow, a cheesy pun that I can make into a prophetic word. Wow. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> now see if I was on if I was on Twitter, I would say something snarky like you know twenty twenty is a year of fake prophecies. <laughs> you know. I like it. But, I but I just might tweet that. But I'm not on Twitter. I'll pretend I came up with that, and only hearers of the podcast will like know that. <laughs> the hearers of the podcast. That sounds so spiritual. Well, what Hello. about the doers of the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you want to do what we're suggesting here. I don't know. Um, as I think about 2020, I'm thinking that um, I just the word productivity is coming to me. Like I'm just yeah. This is my prophetic word for myself. But um, I just, I, I feel like it's time to step up my productivity. Um, and it's between, you know, the two podcasts. Now we're talking about a third one. Um, I need to get my certification at work, so I need to step that up. And then I also want to finish that Bridge of What album I'm working on. And so there's a lot of things I want to accomplish. I don't think the book's going to get finished next year. That's ridiculous. So I'm just going to shelf that. I'm going to shelf the book. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to shelf the unfinished book. Yeah, I'm going to shelf the unfinished book. It, it wasn't very good anyways. But um, but buy it when it comes out in a couple <laughs> years. Um, Scott Adams says, test small before you go big. I don't know if you guys, like, there's certain, certain um, job types where you're taught that. I don't know if it's economics. But you start with a small model and then you scale it, right? And so I've been thinking, and I, I guess this kind of like I'm I'm a math major, and I remember um, one of the things my prof said to me that just like totally changed the way I looked at mathematics. He said like if you don't understand a mathematical concept, pick like a small like a very easy example of the concept that you can understand so that you can apply the rule to more complex equations. So it's like, what's the law of zeros or whatever, right? And it's like, well, come up with a really small equation, put, plug a zero into it, and see what happens. I don't know. I just made that up. But like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like this idea that you can bring something down to something simple, and then you scale it to a bigger problem. You know, the oh. philosopher Bill Murray once said, baby steps. Baby steps. 
<laughs> the philosopher Bill Murray. I like love that. how he crashes weddings. That's so awesome. Does he still do that? Yeah, it, it's it's kind of obnoxious when you actually think about it, but it'd be kind of cool because I was a huge Bill Murray fan for a long time. Still am. I think, it, I think it's only obnoxious if he does it out of just kind of his own selfish desire ambition. to be like, yeah, like look at me. Right. But if he does it for fun and you know people get a kick, then that's pretty cool. So he, I'm, he, a, uh, I'm a Bill he, Murray fan too. He he lives not too far down the. I mean, just a couple hours from here, Charleston is like his primary home, and he's known for showing up at restaurants, just sitting down and eating people's food. And he'll be just like, and they'll never believe you. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. I was gonna say, is Bill Murray crashing weddings still a thing? I like. I I did this thing on Facebook like years ago, where I'd say, is blah 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 still a thing, right? And it started to like kind of take off where people just started expecting me to do it all the time. And at, there was one time where I was like legitimately, I was at church and my pastor, you know, a church of like 200 some people. And my pastor says, is blah, blah, blah still a thing? John Howie in the middle of a sermon. And I was not paying attention. I kind of turned, I'm like, huh, what just happened? Right. But I was thinking about how like, you know, you, you know how you have, like, those artists, like, like say you have Michael W. Smith who wrote Friends, and he's like, oh, people want me to do that stupid song again, right? I feel like if I had a thing like that, it's my still a thing thing. People are like, oh, yeah, that's what John does. It's kind of like the catchphrase that that, you know, kid has, yeah. and people will not let it go. Yeah. Do you have a thing like, like that? Like, like, you're just like, people expect me to do this all the time, and it's the gimmick? And I hate doing it, and I'm done. I used to do that with, uh, I don't really do it much anymore because I got married. But I used to go around telling people all the time, I'm awesome. Yes. Uh, kind of like, kind of doing like, uh, you know, Barney does from uh, How I Met Your Mother. You yeah. Know, I, I really took to that. It appealed to me. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, eventually uh, somebody's like noticed, uh, it's like, Jimmy, do you still... You don't do that much anymore. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I got married a year ago. And my wife doesn't like it. <laughs> and and you, you're no longer awesome anymore. You're married. I, I'm married. <laughs> you don't have to be awesome anymore. No. I, or your wife I, won't let you be awesome. <laughs> right. If, if I'm being awesome, then something's afoot. You know, she needs to keep me in humble <laughs> mediocrity. It's yeah, like, exactly. Tone that down, sir. I'm awesome. <laughs> awesome no, you're not. <laughs> She's like, I don't know if I can go out with you in public anymore. And so I was like, okay, I'll scale it back. Take they off won't. that I am awesome t-shirt. Right. <laughs> Actually, somebody did get me. A, I was doing it so much, somebody did buy me a t-shirt that said <laughs> I'm awesome. I still have it in my closet. Well, you And you did that um, episode of your podcast that said, don't forget to be awesome. Yeah. This I podcast is... People expect me not to like Christian music. I uh -huh. think that's the. So anytime there's something negative about Christian music or Christian movies, yeah, like I, I get. Yeah, I that get is your thing, isn't it? All the time. Anytime somebody says something negative about a Christian movie, people send me stuff. They're like, you know, Emmanuel hates Christian mu movies and music, so he'll he'll appreciate this. <laughs> well, did they did they say that about uh, Star Wars? Because that's a Christian movie, right? I've, no. seen the, I've seen the Obi-Wan and Kenobi Jesus look like uh, memes. <laughs> I love I those love so much. I love those memes. <laughs> how great is the cat meme? Like, how much do you love that? 
Or do you hate it? You hate it, Jimmy, don't you? I I, I didn't mind it at first, but now I hate it because it's been so done. Oh, I think it's so funny. So it's like the lady, the lady lady and the cat. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. People started tagging me in memes that were using the meme to make fun of the meme. And I was just like, oh, man, this is like, this is worse than doubling down. That meme was funnier for longer than I thought it would be. And then it just got, then it, there's always this. At the at the trail end of something being <laughs> viral, that person is still trying to get a little squeeze out of that orange, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just not funny anymore, you know. But I, I, was, I, I was I was a big fan of that. I always wonder about the people that appear in the memes. Like like think of the like the baby with the clutched fist meme and stuff like that. Like like is that kid like 15, 16 years old now? And is he like looking back and say that's me? That's I mean. That stuff's been out for a while. They do follow-ups. Like, I've seen some follow-ups of, like, people who were in memes, and they'll, like, show them how they grew up and stuff. And <laughs> um, So they, they, you can find out about a lot of those. That, that would be so weird. Like, that lady, though, with a cat meme, like, she has to, like, did she, like, dis- deactivate her social media account? No. She's so tired she of actually, seeing she, it? She's actually okay with it. She, um, that was from, uh, like one of those real housewives shows, oh. and she had went through a nasty divorce, and it was a, it was a whole like that was she was like that was the most painful moment of her life. The picture was the picture was the most painful time. Wow. No, not the picture, but that moment. Like she oh, was, okay. like it was like she was going through this divorce, and it was, but she she's come out and said that it didn't bother her. I bet that's super hard. Like I can't imagine like just how that tears someone apart going through a divorce. Yeah, this was it was a weird kind of situation. I don't even remember all the details because it was kind of complex, but but yeah, she you can you can find the whole video of the whole thing, but uh but I I, I like the lady and the cat meme. Yeah. See, I, I, I like I, the lady and the cat meme, but I don't really care about the lady in the picture. There there's a <laughs> it's not a super popular meme, but I've seen it enough floating around out there. It's got like millions of views and stuff. It's a video of some lady I actually used to work with at the grocery, a grocery my first job at a grocery store. Oh, and really? And she's like, yeah, like she's like on a video and she's like being interviewed by the local news and they're talking about the cold or something and Christmas and she's just like, well, I'm just going to be all feeling all fat and sassy. <laughs> and I was just like, whoa, I know that lady. I, I used to get crab legs from her at, at the grocery store, Winn-Dixie in Huntersville. Like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> you imagine that's your thing? I'm going to be all fat and sassy. And, and it was like, that is so surely. Like, I was just like, that, that she was 100% exactly like she was represented in the meme. It's unreal. Did you get a meme autograph from her? No, I, w- I have no idea where she is these days. But <laughs> is it, like, is that different from a regular one? Like a meme autograph? It's. I don't uh, know. I just made that up. I don't know if that's a thing, but <laughs> it should be. That would be kind of cool, though, or, or, or creepy if you just had... Can you meme. autograph my meme? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you could do that if you have a touchpad laptop. Ooh. You could do that. Which I do have a touchpad laptop. Or if you just have your cell phone around, you're just walking around, you just be like, you know, if you have like Photoshop or something on your phone, you're just like, just mark it up right here, you know? Yeah. Sell it on eBay. So, um, Scott Adams, I, it was interesting. There's like, people say stay in your lane. His advice actually is get out of your lane as much as possible, like safely. 
<laughs> but it's like this idea, like even in the book that I read, uh, The Death of Expertise, he was saying that like, I think it was Death of Expertise, where he was saying like, if you are like become an expert in one area, you're basically stupid about everything else. And then you just like kind of use your expertise from that one area and apply it to everything else, and you suck at thinking. But if you dabble in a whole bunch of different things, your problem solving is actually better because you've been exposed to different ways of thinking. Because even within this book, Loser, Loser Think, like he says, think like an artist, think like an engineer, think like a scientist, right? Like there's all these different schools of thought that he's saying will make you a better thinker. And so I was like, that's interesting. Are you guys, you guys try to be diverse in the way you yeah. think? And I'm realizing that most people can't do that. They're not, mm. like, you may have had this, uh, this uh, experience when you're either debating or discussing something with someone and you realize yeah. that they don't have the mental capacity training mm -hmm. to even think the way you're thinking. Yeah. So, you know, I was a psych major and we had to do, uh, experiments and stuff when I was in college. And so I, I, I can't think like a scientist. And so I'll, uh, is that political? <laughs> think like or a somebody scientist. will say, Somebody will compare one situation, trying to make a point. They'll mm -hmm. compare one situation to another situation that happened, and they'll conflict the two and say, "See, if this, you know, this person did this over here, this person did this over here, that means that everybody everywhere is doing this." Bad analogies. And I was like, "Well, yeah. actually, to really say that, you'd have to have those exact same people mm -hmm. in a whole different other place, yes, or in a whole different, you know, and you have to yes. have repeat that over and over again." And then exactly. you can make that inference that you're trying to make. Exactly. Like, they don't even, they look at me like I got three eyes. It's just yeah. because their brain doesn't think like that. Their brain says, no, you know, these police officers did this over here in North Carolina, and these police officers did this in California. See? Completely it's different like, situations. Yeah. Right. Like, I, it's like, no, it's two different people yeah. in two different places and two different situations. And you can't just extrapolate. No. You know. Well, I, I think that's what happens, too, when we put ourselves in other people's shoes. Like, to personalize it, if I look at someone and say, well, psh, I wouldn't have gotten divorced in that situation. And it's like, you haven't been in that situation, so how can you even, like, understand that? You know what I mean? Or say, so-and-so didn't get divorced when that happened to them. And it's like, was it exactly the same? Because the yeah. scientific method states that you don't change multiple variables. You know, you change like five variables in this, you know, in these two different experiments and then compare the two. It's like, which variable is the one that changed it? You don't know. And so the, the biggest I, variable is you're not married to that person. Yes. So you don't know what you would do. There's just, um, yeah. I'll, I'll clean it up a little bit, but there's a saying of, you know, for every beautiful woman, there's another man who's, who's tired of her. You know, mm, yes. it's like because somebody might think, well, you know, she is so gorgeous. Any man will be lucky to have her. Like, no, <laughs> there is a guy who's like, I can't get rid of this person. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny, though, with the get out of your lane thing is that, you know, I've seen it at work over the years is 
especially the big bad bank, you know, we have this tendency to silo people and get yeah. them in these like, you know, yep. make them the subject matter expert. Then all of a sudden that's all that they can do and think about. And then like they almost start collapsing just because they've become so focused and such an expert in that particular area. And then it's almost like any little shift happens at the bank or all of a sudden they, you know, maybe get laid off and have to get another job. It's like they can't function. Um, yeah. because they've become so siloed and so expertise in what they do. And they can't even imagine doing anything other than what they've done. Yeah. I feel like I dabble in so many things, but I, I feel like I have to do it um, without a whole lot of confidence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you, don't, you don't go into it and say, okay, well, I'm going to tell you guys what I think about American politics. Well, I'm a Canadian. What do I know? I don't know anything. And so if I'm going to if I'm going to jump into a conversation about something it's like I have to really approach it humbly because I'm not the expert. I'm I'm the expert on very few things. I probably yeah. know way more about industrial hygiene than you guys do. But it never <laughs> really comes up. So <laughs> Yeah, that's one of my pet peeves is I have a, a few friends who are mostly people are are British or I don't know that they have weird things. I don't know if they're British, English, UK people. I'll just say that. <laughs> the UK people. And peeps. they just they just are always talking about American politics. And I'm just like, one, I was like, have you seen your country? It's not it's not great, but <laughs> but this just they're applying uh, you know, they're just painting everybody with a broad brush and it's just it it it's so annoying to me. I, it's yeah. more than annoying. Um, I'm not saying you can't be critical, but to be critical and act like you know what you're talking about are two different things. Well, there's a certain you know? amount of there's a certain amount of arrogance that is just not required. I mean, generally speaking, arrogance is not warranted. I mean, at what point is it like, all right, your arrogance is warranted now? I'm the hygienist. <laughs> out of my way, everybody. I can deal with this mold problem you have in your house, right? Like it's. You still need well, to respect people and like hear them out and then correct them if they're wrong about something gently, right? Like I it's think, not I, I think social media causes a lot of that. Yeah. Yep. Because it makes you one your own brand in a, in a way, you know? And so there's never been a time in history where you could get your opinion to more people faster than right now. It's basically you know? Basically, we're all monkeys with guns. Am I right, Jimmy? Yes. Yes. That's what the song's and about, just so you I, know. I know. I, I've heard the song several <laughs> times. It was in my head all day. I had, no, don't sing it because it'll be in my head. I was, I, I'm working on a new one right now, and like, it is so hard to get all the words in. Like Xander was like... I want you to do more of like a modern flow. And so it's like crazy. <laughs> like I've like, yeah, finding time to breathe. It's crazy. But you it's got so many lyrics. It's ridiculous. Hopefully I never have to do it live because I don't think I could. Well, so you down, don't ask could me you to slow tour. Down the music? Could you slow down the I music? I guess I could have maybe. I don't know. You it's need, fun though. It's, it's going to be fun. I don't know what kind of music it is, but that, that, that's a possibility. You should uh, see if you can't do partner with the people who did the recent remake of Planet of the Apes. You know, there's that scene in the second one where the monkey, you know, decides to go 
cross over to the enemy lines and he acts like he's a dumb chimp and then he acts like he's got the machine gun and he's just acting like he's stupid and people are laughing at him and then he kills everybody. <laughs> That's oh, an interesting goodness. twist. Yeah. Not all not all my music's monkey related though, so stop monkeying around. Well, you're, you're missing your niche. <laughs> yeah. that, you could be the monkey guru on Twitter. That's what's going to get you discovered, you know? Monkey fling this, poop. This guy My bridge, next single, monkey, monkey flinging poop. All of, his, all of his music is about monkeys. <laughs> and they're going to be like, it's a metaphor for politics, but he doesn't talk about politics. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I like where this is headed. Um song I'm really excited about that I got to write is called Keys, Shut Up and Drive. And, like, the idea is, like, um, it's a father passing this, like, classic car to his son. And he's, like, saying, the keys are yours, shut up and drive. But, like, the song is full of advice on how to take care of the car. And it's a metaphor for his life. Um, and it's, like... Because I, I think a lot of times when, when our kids, you know, get to that age where they're about to leave home, and I'm getting close to that, I was thinking about how, like, it's like your kid is just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make you proud. And it's like, this is not about me making you proud or you making me proud. It's this car is yours. Like, it's yours now. I want you to take care of it for your own sake. Just like I want you to take care of your life for your own sake. And so, anyways, it's going to be fun. Like I'm not concept. even... Sorry? I like the concept. Yeah, I'm not sure how it'll come no, back no, no, together legally. Where's the monkey, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the monkey, the passenger seat. It, it's it's going to be such a controversial song. It'll be John's first without a monkey. <laughs> monkey with a car. <laughs> they're they're going to start calling you the Kanye of, uh, of, mon uh, of, of those types of songs you make. Yeah. Like, he doesn't make those songs anymore. Hey, so um, in counseling, have you, um, have you noticed that there are people, and I don't know if it's a personality type or if it's just like a flaw in human nature, where it's like ruminating about trauma just creates more and more stress and causes more and more damage? Uh, yeah. Um, people... people can get fixated on it. Um, and I don't know if you would call it an obsession or whatever, but, but yeah, there is, there is an, un, sometimes people are, are kind of have an unhealthy obsession. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really related to, uh, like PTSD, right? Mm. Um, and there are therapies that help with kind of help desensitize you to trauma. Um, is that like an exposure kind of thing? Like you're kind of exposed to whatever it is that triggers the trauma? No, you can do a EMDR, eye movement desensitization. Uh, can't even say it. Desensitization. Huh. Uh, it's EMDR, and it basically uses some the way that our brains work and rapid eye movements to kind of like rewire your brain interesting and so that the, the trauma isn't that memory isn't as, as strong hmm. um but yeah that's definitely like a ptsd situation where it's where you just that hmm. it's always there you know so it's, it's so your trauma your tra you're, you're being re-traumatized by the trauma 
if and that it's makes kind of pushing that down to the background so it's more of a hum than something that's screaming in your ear is that kind of yeah yeah it's you know and i'm not a practitioner of it i have i know yeah. people who are yeah um, but uh yeah it's just a way to like it doesn't erase it but it but it definitely um kind of dulls it so it's not a sharp pain it's just a, a dull um so you can at least get some relief and deal with it yeah that's interesting because I what I find too is like sometimes people will have some kind of a trauma that they keep reliving and they'll maybe have a partner that they talk with about it and they just keep repeating the same stuff over and over again and it's just a cycle like maybe that's a codependent relationship and I I actually heard that if you go like if you have some kind of a trauma and you go talk to someone at a bus stop about it it actually is more therapeutic than someone that's heavily involved. Because it's almost like you have this, um, you have this mirroring that happens. So you kind of have this mirroring that happens with someone who d isn't actually involved in the situation. And it brings your stress level down. And maybe that helps put it in the background instead of it's something that's at the forefront when you're talking to someone who's heavily involved in that situation. Well, if somebody's heavily involved with you, they, there are one you may not be as honest with that person because they've got skin in the game, hmm. and two they might not be that honest with you because they have skin in the game. So somebody who just doesn't know you at all, you may be more likely to uh, tell that tell your story differently in a way that you would tell it to the other person, and they may hear it differently because they don't know you. So mm. they don't have that f extra filter, Interesting. that makes sense. So more honesty that way. It, it can be. Or it could be more dishonest that way. Because the person who knows you might kind of, you know, know when you're, you're full of it or not. You know what I'm saying? So it could go either way. So you almost need to talk to people that are at varying levels of, like, knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> to to walk through this, things. And, and this season of our podcast, we're uh, we're talking. I'm talking about my, my kind of counseling philosophy, and that's one of the things that that grace is supposed to do for us is it lets us be imperfect and still be loved. Mm. And so if you so you that's are huge. not you're not worried about how you look. You're not worried about being rejected. Um, you're not worried about being uh, punished. There's no fear in love because. Perfect love cast out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So you're not worried about being punished. So you can say, oh, I can be imperfect. I can be flawed. And I can tell this person. And then it doesn't change our relationship. And that's supposed to be freeing. Um, that's kind of what the church is supposed to be able to do. Hmm. Um, so it, knowing the person shouldn't be a barrier. But often it is, it, it is because we're just so afraid of being rejected or being... Uh, you know, not thought well of or being shamed or whatever. So interesting. Maybe that's why so many people turn to online forms of things like via Twitter. Or, I mean, maybe Twitter's not the best place. You can get plenty of shame on Twitter, but you can also <laughs> find a lot of people who will sympathize with you and come and hear our round. Like, like, you know what it's like to get like, well, maybe you don't, Emmanuel, because you don't do Twitter, but, you know, do it on Facebook where all of a sudden you're on somebody's Facebook page or Twitter thread that obviously has 10,000 friends that, 
think exactly like them and feel the exact same way. And then they like all echo their friends. Chamber. Most of them yeah. Yeah. Echo chamber. Like, and like the, and it's like, Whoa, I'm clearly like almost on a different planet from these people, but you know, and they don't even realize they're in an echo chamber. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but it's like, but so people find those little communities to, to find that freedom because they couldn't probably talk about it in real life with folks. See, this yeah. is, this is they where they might not even know that they're in it. You know? right. This is where my Enneagram 4 kicks in, because I'm like, how boring is it to just hear people say everything you want to hear? Like, I want variety. I want to change the channel. Like, I, I want to hear some other thoughts here that challenge well, me. I mean, but I think most people probably aren't there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's, I know. that's why, like, you have the polarization of America with a lot of things. That's why people only turn to one news outlet over yeah. another because yeah. they, they want that, you know? I, I just don't get it. I'm like, I, I, I don't understand normal people. They, normal people drive me crazy. And it's like what Emmanuel is saying, <laughs> you know, these people aren't ready to think that way. And I'm like, well, you guys are boring and I hate you. <laughs> that, that would be a great <laughs> title for your podcast. <laughs> normal people are boring and I hate you. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Too bad. It's all about fancy Theosaurus Rex. He's well, fancy. It's, it's fitting in feels better than being on the out group. So most people are going to gravitate toward fitting in. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. see, I never so, really fit in. And now I don't either. I like to, I like to think I've chosen not to fit in now. <laughs> so maybe that's why. I, I was listening to this podcast. It's called The Heretic Happy Hour. I mean, you two would love it. Um, but <laughs> um, I like happy hour. <laughs> but I, uh, actually, I think I heard you recommend it once. I listened to it, and I, I was like, okay, I will never listen to that again. <laughs> yeah, but what I'm I pretty open-minded, but how we can listen to stuff that I can't, I can't even stomach the title of. It. I am like, sure. It's just gonna make me angry. But um, what I thought was really interesting is they were talking about like it was psychology actually. And they were talking about consciousness and how psychology is having such a hard time pinning down consciousness. And I can't remember exactly what the experiment was, but they were able to basically pick up that consciousness comes from outside of the body. And it's kind of like it's kind of like a radio signal and how the Holy Spirit is kind of the same kind of thing where it's like it's like a radio signal. It's like everywhere. And it's kind of like when you were talking about that hum of trauma, I, I can sense that there's kind of like a hum of Holy Spirit everywhere we go. And it's like God is working in our midst. And you can kind of sense him there. Makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if this season I'm, of life I'm in right now that I can sense him, but, uh, <laughs> but, I, but there are times, yeah. Mm. Um, but that's interesting that that research, though. Um, it's also why when people are so definitive about science, yeah, I'm like, eh, you know, because there's people who tell you, ah, oh, you know, consciousness. That's just that's just brain chemicals that are making you think you're conscious, and it's just a yeah. part of evolution. And it's like, it's like, well, consciousness comes from outside of us. What, you know? Yeah. Not that I'm like, but. Eventually, science lines up with, with God. It's, it's, yeah. Yep. Even when they don't want to. 
And I, I loved that about university. It seemed like everything I studied, there was a jumping off point where they would just be like, yeah, and then after that, we don't really understand. And I think it's yeah. if you go into depth into any topic, that will happen. And it makes me think, well, somebody does understand it. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and, that, like, and that's, that's even true with theology, points. too. There, if you go too far, there's stuff yeah. that we just don't know. Now, yeah. people like to fake like they know and be, <laughs> oh, feel man. all authoritative, but but that's why it should kind of engender some kind of humility when it comes to yes. all, all fields, but especially yeah. theology, you know. Absolutely. Well, it's like there's this infinite mystery of God that we can just delve into and and pursue for all eternity. And it's like, that's so cool. Like, why would you want to just close the loop and say, no, it's simple. God is this. And it's like I don't I don't like that God, <laughs> you know that people no, John, are just it's, it's all it's all objective and it can all be put in on a checkbox somewhere. Oh, it's all theology. That's, it's, it's purely that's, objective checkboxes. That's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that's dumb really, theology. It really is. Well, the, and this goes back to maybe enneagram and personality types. Certain personality types are comfortable with. Uh, not knowing, and there's certain mm -hmm. personality types that need to have a a box to put everything in. Yeah, and if they don't have a box to put it in, it makes them uncomfortable, and it's like I need to put it somewhere, you know. Mm -hmm. And some of us can just kind of just throw it on the table and just stack it there, you know. I'm comfortable not knowing my enneagram number. <laughs> are you? Yeah. Are you? I, no, I, I will be for ten years, and then ten years I'll be like, okay, I, I finally give up. I broke down. No, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know my number. I, I, I think I took it like a long time ago, back when all those, those different tests were a, a thing. Yeah. We're actually th thinking about doing a whole podcast season on personality tests, hmm. and just uh, each of us taking them. And then just doing a podcast episode about what we think about it and, you know, what we think about personality tests in general. But uh, I, 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 I think I the see. reason I have a hard time with personality tests is because I feel like I'm always trying to skew the personality test to meet whatever yeah. outcome. I well, yeah. see that yeah, if yeah, I I'm answer it this way, that too. it'll tell yeah. me what I wanted to already know. Like, yeah. but like it, if I but take it, Peter Wagner's spiritual gift test, gift test, I'm always the greatest chief apostle that there ever was. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but if, but if, if it's a good test, it will, it will account for that. Hmm. Because it will know there's a person out there. Because, see, I'm, I'm the opposite of you. I'm the kind of person who doesn't want to skew. And so I'll overanalyze everything. Like, mm. this way, you know, but the, a good test will, that's why if you're really taking a really good personality test, it's long. Yeah. yeah. That's because, how it was on eHarmony. Like I, it was like 500 questions. Some of them were the same or slightly worded different. And it was like, you really couldn't skew it. Are, yeah. Are you a psychopath? Are you sure? <laughs> Are you really, really sure? Or are you tested for a psychopath? <laughs> yeah. There's are you research. into psychopaths? Are There's you a new sure? There's research that came out that said that uh, the psychopaths, they can have uh, empathy. They just don't want to. Mm. Um. Well, that's like, uh, what, what is that? Wow. Like uh, empathy versus like cognitive empathy versus um, what was the other one? 
But there's the actual empathy, like feeling what the other person's feeling, and then cognitive empathy is understanding how the other person's feeling. Right, yeah. and, and I understand how you feel. I just don't care. I'm exactly. Still gonna hit, I, I, I'm still going to hit you with this brick. Yeah. This hurt. Oh, that's too bad. That's uh, amazing. Yeah. Well, I probably th- how politicians work. I think what we if- need to wrap up. It's been like an hour and fifteen minutes, according to Skype. Uh, we still have ten topics, man. <laughs> we have so <laughs> many topics. The ADD and the mastermind. Good, and the good ones are at the end. Come on, let's. The ADD master list is infinite. So, you I don't know. You should start it at the it end of the list me. one time. I remember. Next AD, you just go scroll to the bottom of the list and work your way up. Because <laughs> I'm curious why you had this. I'm curious about what group picks is in here for. Oh, okay. Hey, I'll do that one. We'll finish up with it. Okay. Um, all right. So I was. I know all of these. Like a lot of these things on the list only make sense to me. Um, but I was thinking about how, like, when we get group photos taken. There's always that person who's just like, oh, not that group photo of us. I look so stupid, right? And they're like, oh, this is embarrassing. And it's like, you realize, you do realize that every person in that, in that like, photo, when they look at that photo, they're not looking at you, right? They're looking at themselves. And it's just putting things into perspective. Like, most of the time that we think people are scrutinizing us, they're not even paying attention to us because they're so wrapped up in themselves. Mm. That's mostly true. But if I get murdered and they do a Dateline special about me, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna pull up that group photo and they're going to halo around my little goofy-looking face and, and then everybody's going to see it. And then well, everyone's well, going to be like, I'm glad he got killed because he looked goofy in that photo. Well, see, yeah. the key to taking group <laughs> pics is always to make sure that you do something that draws attention to the fact that you were in the photo. I hate taking pictures in general, but especially group photos. I, I, don't, have, photos bad. I don't have a problem with my photo being taken. I just don't like looking at it after. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't mind my photo being taken, but I don't want, a, I don't want to have to pose. Mm. So once you start rearranging me like some, like, mm. marionette, you know, it's like... You all right. all right, now chin up here. Okay, you in the back, come in a little bit. All right, angle 45. Once, once I got to take directions, I'm out. It's mm. like, you know. I, I hate that too, especially as like I'm tall enough to usually be in the back row, but not tall enough so as to completely clear the person in front of me. And yeah, so so it's like I'm always going to like, uh, like head all the way over or like very – like so you only end up like seeing part of me. Like it's usually a very small part. Which I'm part. perfectly okay with. But yeah, I'm <laughs> the same way. It's, not a fan. My wife loves to take pictures, and it's one of those things that you know. I had this list of things that that to talk about in premarital counseling with couples that never come up, and you have to just like picture taking. That's one of the things you need to discuss in premarital because if it was a <laughs> divorceable offense, I think I might be uh, calling a lawyer. I hate it so much. <laughs> I've wow. noticed that uh, some some girls, like especially like college age ones, they've definitely become like experts at the group picks. Like I've noticed that like certain ones will definitely have like a hand on the hip and their knees slightly bent and turned inward. Like no, and then they, the, they have a, a a set pose that they right. do that pose in every picture they take. It's crazy. See, I just like, yeah. I just, just don't overthink it. Like, I'm just like trying to stare. Stand there. It's like I hope my hands don't look weird while I'm standing here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's well, weird. It's like I, 
I'm not a smiler, and then they'll like want you to smile, and then if I <laughs> smile and don't want to, it looks weird, and it's like this weird like, you know, yeah. It's like this weird <laughs> By the way, guys, this this um this podcast should be on YouTube at the Air Smudge oh. Air YouTube channel. Well, thanks for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, Where's uh, his royalty check? <laughs> so, Emmanuel, um, your podcast. This. Your podcast is called "So Tell Me About Your Mother." Is that correct? Yeah. So, tell me about your mother and me and my buddy uh, Kent. Um, it's a very niche, but it's just two guys who are Christians and counselors, and fathers and husbands and friends. Just uh, right now, we're just kind of talking about counseling, like. The season we just finished up, he's talking about his counseling uh, theoretical orientation. And then next season, we're talking about my uh, my counseling philosophy. And then we'll branch out to some more stuff. But, yeah, it's it's pretty niche, but there's some gems in there. I love psychology so much. I could just listen to it all the time. And, Jimmy, you've got the Jimmy's Table podcast. Yeah, jimmystable.com. If you want to just go to the main page, jimmystable.com slash listen if you just want to binge watch me like I'm Netflix or something. Yeah. <laughs> it should be called Jimmy Rails because that's what he normally does. He's just railing on stuff. Oh, no, there's 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 some <laughs> railing, but there's lots of, like, there's weird episodes too. Like, I did, like, two episodes on Christmas or something. It was like. <laughs> yeah, materialism and. All right. Materialism, good, according to Jimmy. Right, absolutely. <laughs> Anyways, um, Amanda, what's a good way to get a hold of you? Ugh, uh, well, my email for my podcast is Emmanuel with an I, Emmanuel at so tell me about your mother podcast.com. Um, the website oh. is so, t- so tell me about your mother podcast.com. Yeah. Um, I love that title for a podcast, so Freudian. It's awesome. <laughs> well, it's not even about Freud. It, it's, 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 it really started when I was teaching. And anytime something, I'd have a, something with a student or whatever, and I'd be talking to my, my counselor friends about it, and they'd be like, probably an over-anxious mother. And so <laughs> then it became just this, just this thing, this running joke about it's always the mother. Always. And then it became... Yeah. And so we got rid of the podcast. That was just kind of like the natural. We tried to do another title, but that one just stuck. That is a good just, title. It's great. Yeah. And we've had people say, "Look, I've been listening for two, you know, for two seasons, and you haven't told me about your mother yet. Like, when are you going to talk about mother?" <laughs> oh, this is like this is like how I met your mother. You don't do it until the very last episode, huh? Yeah. Mm, just a thought. All right. Anyways. Thanks, guys. It was so much fun. I love doing this show, and I'm so glad you guys could come on. I cannot do it by myself. It'd be ridiculous. It'd be like it'd be like Jimmy ranting on his podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you should you should do more monologue. You should do more monologue. <laughs> I, I you, do. You got a lot of good stuff. I do a lot of good stuff. I do that for Wax Museum once in a while. I, I started yeah. doing these like monologues where I play music in the background. I, th- I did one where it was like monkey with a gun the whole time. And I did not say the word monkey at all. It was amazing. How do you talk over that? I, I turned it down. Yeah. It had to be way down. That seems like it'll be. <laughs> it was a loud song. Like was it? Like, you'd have to like your your viewers or listeners would have to like be dropping acid to hear you do a monologue on top of monkey with a gun. That would be pretty know, intense. Right. 
Yeah. That song should come with a bag of shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great endorsement. Anyways, yeah, also catch me on the Wax Museum. I'm Bridge Livwatt. Thank you for listening to ADD Masterminds. Greetings, all. It's the Theosaurus Rex. Check out this snippet from my latest podcast. God isn't scared by our questions. He's big enough to handle our questions because, as Jesus said, he is the truth. All truth is found in Christ. Therefore, it doesn't matter if we question him about the truth because it will eventually lead to him. I think for some reason, and I don't know where it came from, but I do have some ideas. We have this idea that we aren't allowed to question God. We aren't allowed to question the church. We aren't allowed to question the teachings of our pastors and leaders. It may be a holdover from the Catholic tradition where you aren't allowed to question some. It may be as simple as a misunderstanding of what some believe faith is. They say that belief without evidence is faith. And that's not true. And wherever this idea came from that we can't question things, we can't question God, it's just straight up bad theology. If you like what you heard, check out at St. Theosaurus Rex on Twitter or any of the at Airsmudge family of podcasters. The Theosaurus Rex.